Welcome to The Bandwagon, where we discuss hot topics and issues in the world today. I'm Christopher Miller, and I'm here with my colleague, Elizabeth West. Good morning, Lisa. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Um, This is now our third podcast. I think our audience knows a little bit about us, and uh, we discussed Dahmer in our first one. I thought we'd move into something more along my uh, areas of expertise, and that is World War I. Um, What do you think? Looking forward to it? Excited? Um, Look, I watched the movie. Mm -hmm. I did. Um, The movie she's referring to is All's Quiet on the Western Front, which is a literary masterpiece that was uh, been proclaimed to have shown the true face of war, and we'll get into that here shortly. Um, What'd you think? Um, Look, you already know I'm not a war movie person. I'm not. Though I have to say there were parts of the movie that really ticked me off. Um, that one pompous windbag, I can't remember his name, but the high up in the military guy that was sitting there having steak and wine while these oh. young children are in the trenches, pompous windbag, yeah. children in the trenches. You're talking the generals, the British generals and the higher ups back in uh, probably the high command. Um if, if you remember the, the scene that you're referring to, the, the officer they brought in to have dinner with him was not happy to be there. He knew no. what the reality of the situation was. Yeah. Um, so, but so, I had issues with that one. But um, this is your specialty. It's my turn to ask the questions. All right, ah. let's do it. Okay. So why those, how old were those kids, those four boys? They were young. They were young. They were not, uh, they were university age, but I don't believe they were in university yet. Um, uh, One of them forged his parents' signature. Exactly. So they were typically like a lot of soldiers have been through the ages. We're talking anywhere from the Civil War. We had, uh, we know of one soldier that was 10 years old, uh, but typically there was, there'll be like 17 through 21, 22 age range, uh, most soldiers in most conflicts. Um, Okay, so here's my here was my first real issue that I saw. And I know this happens. (laughs) It was that pompous windbag mm -hmm. in the middle of a room surrounded by these young men, giving them this pep talk about how good it's going to be to serve the country and da 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 da. And these boys get their uniforms and they're happy and they're laughing and they were brainwashed like. Even that quick, they were brainwashed. Like, I get it, but these are kids. And then they don't even tell them the reality. They get them in their uniforms, they put them on a truck, and then, hello, you're in the trenches with rats and lice and disease and water and trench foot. And, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, if they well, told them the reality, nobody would go. That. But, I mean. There are several aspects to it. The first one, of course, is what you hear to even today in modern times talked about and that's nationalism that's a pride in your nation a pride in your country a pride in your culture a pride in your your community as a people um world war one world war two both uh both these conflicts especially had a lot of nationalism in them in world war one that was one of the factors that led to the outbreak of hostilities and and which is why i wanted to discuss this topic today in world war one preceding the war there were social, economic, and military and security issues that came into play. Um, 
we had the second technological revolution uh, where some new technologies were emerging. And one country would see another country building perhaps better weapons and this and that. So out of fear, they would also try to, to uh, match, match them in, in their development as well. Um, yeah. There are security issues where one country was afraid that they may not be able to keep up with the other one that they felt was a threat. So they'd make an alliance with a third party. If we get attacked or whatever, you'll come to our aid and vice versa. All these things kind of formed a perfect storm uh, to lead into what eventually was a very tense situation that got uh, um, set off in the case of World War I by the assassination of the Archduke. Going back to your question, though, um, the way we think of conflict today versus then is a lot different. Now we think more in terms of, is this objective worthy of our time, commitment, especially lives of our men and women? Where back then, it was more simple black and white sort of things. They attack, they're bad, they're trying to ruin this other country's lifestyle, we must defend it. We are the good, we are the British, we are the Americans, we're the whoever. And if it was felt that way on both sides. So uh, the, the the person, the, the Serbian, I believe he was Serbian uh, um, gentleman um, that is, did the assassination felt that the, the country that was currently in ruling over their country was oppressive and he felt pride for his country and his community and all that, that he needed to take action. And this is where the, the uh, uh, juxtaposition comes. Um, who's right and who's wrong? Well, that's a matter of perspective. And we can go into that some more if you like in a few minutes. Um, I mean, that's that's very, very true. Now, so I'm going to go back. Talking about that's what hit him is the nationalism, the feeling of we're doing something for our country, for our community, something that's bigger than us. We're excited. I mean, I can, okay. It. I can see that, but I guess I guess my problem is, and the truth is, is if they were told the truth about what they were gonna getting into, but why were they why were why were they sending these young untrained men to the front lines? Well, like, shouldn't because, the untrained ones be like further back to be trained, or well, are they just cannon at fodder? This point in the story. And in the war, the Western fronts has already been going on for several years. All of the conflict has been, <laughs> and. There were great uh, casualties and uh, great losses of equipment and, and all sorts of things. So they were getting what they had available to them. You know, if you get your standing army and you send them over, then they've been fighting two or three years, possibly decimated this and that. Now you have to go into your reserves. Your reserves come, uh, you know, get depleted. You move into now you're recruiting from the populace, which you see even today. Uh, in yeah. the Ukrainian situation, Putin declared a mandatory uh, calling up of uh, civilians. So uh, so that's where these things all continue to be affected by ideologies and outlooks and perspectives that began prior to World War One. All right, now I have to ask a couple questions because I saw a couple things in the movie. Okay. Um, the gas masks. Would you say that their equipment that's represented in the movie is as accurate as possible to historic history? Yes, I think it okay. was very accurate. How did they see through those gas masks, let alone breathe? Um, well, as with any emerging technologies and things, there were, of course, hiccups. They had limited sights. Even today with your with your NBC equipment, as we call it, nuclear, biological, chemical, um, you have a limited range because you have a mask on, right? Um, 
This can be held in many types of equipment. You know, when you look through binoculars, it limits your range through the straight board, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So they had to quickly kind of learn how to, you know, move their heads, you know, further. Not than depend the on their peripheral vision. Yeah, exactly. Not depend yeah. on peripheral vision, things like that. It was difficult. And breathing wise, um, even today, I can tell you from experience being in the military, they're very hot. It's very um it's harder to breathe in them because they're trying to filter out stuff. So you've got to pull things through a filter, so to speak. Well, I guess a lot of people my, would say my period. So. I guess a lot of people would say that they've experienced it through COVID. Correct. That's another way. A lot of people were talking about they couldn't breathe properly. They weren't getting enough oxygen or whatever, um, because it yeah. does form a barrier of sorts to uh, to uh, limit, uh, you know, uh, the free flow of air and things like that. So, um. Let's see. What else was it? Oh, <laughs> this is going to sound like, what am I thinking? One of the, the scenes when the, the, the boys first got into the trenches was bailing out the trenches because the trenches were flooded. Correct. Trench is, is basically a hole in the ground. Correct. Okay. It's raining. Explain that to me because how do you bail out a trench, which is a, a hole when it's raining? Exactly as you saw in the movie, you assign some people that that's basically their job for today is to throw it out. Because remember, they built into the ground to escape fire from the artillery. Artillery was uh, uh, improving at that point and uh, uh, sniper fire, et cetera, et cetera. And where are you going to the hole for the water to flow if you're already below the ground level? Okay, so here's my other question. They had to dig all this stuff out. How did they dig all these trenches and all these tunnels and stuff without enemy forces intervening? Well, there's uh, several other movies. There's a movie called Beneath Hill 60, where it actually talks about in one instance, they were digging to tunnel under the Germans and they were going to blow them up from, the, from below. And they found out that the Germans kind of got wind that they were trying to dig and they were digging. So now you have people on both sides digging and every once in a while they would break through and now you have skirmishes underground. Um, oh my. This was all going on while fighting is going on overhead. So as shells are flying and troops are attacking, there's another group of another sign soldiers, some bailing out the water, others digging the tunnels, trying to, to uh, you know, uh, in increase the front lines as well as maybe maneuver into closer range of the enemy and things. You know, I read an article. Yeah, I did a little extra research. Good. Not going up against you without a little extra research. Um, but I read an article and it said that World War One had an excess of facial and head injuries because of being in the trenches, because of having to look up and out. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they would get hit. I mean, in one of the scenes in the movie, he looks up to see and pop. I mean, yep. his helmet yeah, goes flying. He's lucky. Yeah. This is a, an issue even with today. Uh, when I was in the service uh, through basic training, our final test, uh, uh, we there's a week we called Hell Week. And basically, it's just, you know, simulating being in these kinds of conditions. And then you do a final right. objective. Ours was a recreation of Normandy. And we came out of the trench, which harkened back to the World War One era because trench warfare still is in play, as you see in Ukraine today. Um mm. If you notice in the movie, they invented these little periscope looking things that went up like that. Um, that yeah. was an innovation due to we don't want to be shot. Um, in World War II movies, a lot of times you see them 
get down low and kind of peek around the corner or possibly use a mirror. Um, um, yeah. Same sort of things as snipers. Now, from what I understand, new technologies have allowed where you can have weapons that have like a camera that they can stick out so they can see smart bullets, weapons, things like that. Yeah. I saw something, uh, some show about, uh, look, honestly, it could have been like an episode of CSI or NCIS, but something the gun got loose and it was a kind of gun that the site could see around the corner correct yes they have these kinds of new technologies i i did not have those i had the m16a1 uh, back in the day that's how old i am i don't even know if they have those in service in any place anymore um so these were all the dangers that they had back then um and again we're several years into the war by the time the movie you watched all quiet is all is quiet on the western front um they didn't get a lot of training because we had to get men out there uh, because of the depleting numbers of, uh, uh, of people killed on both sides. Um, at the end of the movie, I, I believe it says 3 million just on the Western Front. Then you had the Eastern Front yeah. and other areas as well. So It was insane. And okay, so let's see. I've got the whole list here. Um, da, da, da. I learned a new term that I'd never heard of, but it makes sense. The creeping barrage. Creeping barrage, correct. What it is, is, they fire artillery uh -huh. and it gets you going, and then uh, under the cover of the artillery, they're trying to move forward. Now, in the movie, isn't that what they were doing when the tanks came in? Like, they sent big bombs, they all got down, then the ground started shaking. Yes, it was a form and of And they go up barrage. and there's tanks. Now, those were the first tanks, right? That's correct. Uh, uh, the first tanks, and as you saw, also the first flamethrowers, Mustard gas, all these were technologies that got invented in World War One. It was coming from the old world at the beginning, which was horseback, sabers, pistols, to they made improvements in the riflery. Uh, mm -hmm. Artillery definitely improved. Gas, mustard gas. Uh, barbed wire became a, a huge uh, asset in, in the way we uh, fight uh, taking, uh, taking positions and things. And, and supply lines, all these things suddenly became adapted and evolved to a much harsher uh, and dangerous kind of level, in my opinion. And then World I, War II took those emerging technologies, improved upon them, and added some more to uh, expand them. Look, I was watching that movie, and I'm watching the tanks roll in. And, uh, of course, uh, I know what a tank is. We've seen them in movies for years, right? And you drove them. No, you ran from one. That's what it was. <laughs> um, that's a story for another podcast. Um, but it can, I'm sitting here watching it and that had to look like hell itself was opening up to them. These giant machines just coming at them and then firing at them. Like, it, it was, as you saw, um, quite shocking to them. They, at first they, they weren't exactly sure what they were saying. There's this big behemoth of a vehicle coming at them. Um, so it dawns on them this is a threat of some sort and so they start shooting and they're heavily armored nothing seems to be affecting especially the first battle the first maybe day or two till they started yeah. learning how to to maybe counter them it was purely sure terror for many many soldiers they never seen anything and then that's followed up as you saw in the movie by flamethrowers um now look it got that flamethrower that flamethrower ticked me off because I was, look, I had looked away to do something. I was researching at the same time and taking notes and doing the whole thing. But I look up and there's this guy, he is trying to surrender. 
like yeah. trying to surrender and he gets hit with a flamethrower like that would be and in in both world war one and world war two remember at these times we hadn't yet developed geneva conventions and things like that these are still coming or emerging as we speak during these hostilities um yeah the British and the French in particular were very angry at the losses they had taken and what they uh, uh, definitely viewed as a unprovoked attack upon the rest of Europe. Um, the, the generations of men supposedly had been affected to it. You know, young men uh, were killed in such numbers that, you know, you kind of it affected birth rates and things like that. You kind of lost the generation, so to speak. Um, I believe that. So, they developed these technologies to stop them and to punish them. And that continued on into the Paris Peace Conference, which gave conditions for surrender that were so extremely harsh, they eventually lead to the rise of Adolf Hitler, who comes out of this time of turmoil for the Germans, where they're in a Great Depression and hungry and starving, says, we were robbed. We deserve our uh, breakthroughs. Um, we deserve our, our honor, our country, all these things. Uh, and uh, and it's because they were too harsh, and that leads into World War II, a whole different thing. So um, that's why you saw in that movie the flamethrower. They didn't. They just didn't care. They were mad that their buddies had got killed. They were mad that they were away from their families, living in the conditions and things that you had seen, and they just For were sure. just angry. And so there was a lot of uh, lack of mercy in things, so to speak. You know. Um... We touch briefly on mental health um, uh, quite a lot. And, uh, you know, PTSD is, it, it, that's an obvious one. But mm -hmm. the thing is, is like, not only that, they had severe ongoing trauma. Like it, it was every single day, all the time. And I, I can't even imagine how smothering of a feeling that is for some people. Like, I know some people can thrive on that and that's okay for them, but there are other people that, that their, their, their chemical makeup cannot handle that. And then it sounds like one thing from the movie that I loved was them stealing that goose and Correct. then taking it back and they shared it with their, their, their comrades and they were laughing. And that, that was one, one little moment of purity Mm -hmm. happiness a joy i don't know because i don't know if you can experience those feelings when you're constantly under fire but I a little bit you, of um you're hitting on some very important things especially at that time when they didn't get as much training as they should basic training in ait are supposed to kind of introduce you to these types of environments these types of stresses and help you develop the ability to to uh deal with them yeah. Back in the war, especially at that point, they were recruiting very quickly within a matter of days or on the front. So they weren't properly prepared. Different people react differently, as you see. And then the next podcast we're going to do as a follow-up to this one. We're going to talk more specifically on these aspects. Um, yes. And then um, there was things that uh, people wouldn't consider to be stress as stress, waiting for the attack to come for days because it keeps getting postponed in this net, not knowing in the next 10 minutes, if you're going to be alive or dead, because you may have to take the, take the next trench and waiting and waiting and waiting. Let me tell you from experience, I thought that the anticipation of waiting to get on a mission was more stressful than being on the mission. Cause when you're on a mission, 
your training, your adrenaline, all that kicks in, as you right. saw in the movie. Um, uh, there was a scene where uh, one of the soldiers, you know, he starts hand to hand and he kills the guy. Yeah. Then, like five minutes later, hits him and he starts, you know, trying to save the the guy. Trying to save him. I, I yeah. Doing? Like I, I exactly. broke. I broke. That was that he was having. Like at first, it was it was, in my opinion, kill or be killed. Right. And then he went over for a minute and he like recentered himself to the best of his ability and he then his human nature kicked in. Oh my God, this God is guy is dying. I I have to try to help. And he's suffering. And he's and, suffering. And that's I when mean, you and, saw the soldiers, and this is something from soldiers on both sides. They typically are told stuff or feel they're part of something that is right and correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when we fight our enemy, we think that they're in the wrong. Well, they think we're in the wrong, right? Down in the lower trench level type environment, it's two guys. They really don't have an issue with each other, really. They've probably never even seen each other, met each other, and this and that and this other. But it's nope. they just killed my buddies, and they're trying to kill me, so I got to do that first. And then that's why a lot of veterans, even to this day, come back, and then they realize you know, they have mental issues, mental uh, difficulties dealing with. I just killed some dude that really didn't ever do anything to me, right? He was just doing what he was told. And then you come to find out in a lot of cases, in modern history especially, that the big webs have agendas that they didn't make you aware of that, uh, that you may or may not agree with. And this is the complexities of war, the complexities of international relations and all these sorts of things. So, uh, I, I just, you know, the mental health, like, did you know, I, I read this in another article that a, a lot of the men that went to see, oh, there was a huge, after the first battle started, there was a huge influx of soldiers coming into the infirmaries and the hospitals with no physical problems, none whatsoever. It was all in their mind. Do you know how many of them that were um, called cowards? Correct. And accused of cowardice? Yeah. Shell shock was not even a ter coined term until think like 1915 when it came out in the Lancet. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was, I mean, uh, it was the World War one soldiers because it began yes. in 1914 where we first started identifying ptsd shell shock things like that yeah so, it no, was that was another factor that drove these young people to keep fighting even though they knew this is not working or whatever because the shame of going home defeated the shame of not being manly and standing your ground and these sorts of things played yeah. another part and and still due to, to that's awful aspects today that's awful i mean as a soldier, I know that we felt that we we were, you know, protecting our nation, representing our nation. And if we didn't uh, succeed, that that would be a threat. And, yeah, and know. you know, that's your family. That's your home. That's everything. And you do not want that to happen. So you, you, you go do what you have to do. You do what you got to do. Exactly right. So. I mean, and I get that. It just. But that's one of the things that I thought. And like I said, this first half of this podcast here that we're doing, this first part one, is kind of talking about some of these general things that go into it. And we can go into that again a little bit in the next one as our time wraps up today. Uh, but I think we'll really focus in this next one that we'll do as a follow up on the PTSD, because that still affects soldiers to the day, which goes 100%. back to my overall pre premise that World War One continues to color especially the European landscape to the modern age, but and has affected the world uh, uh, across the globe in many ways and still does. So yeah. we'll leave that for the next one. And um, 
quick couple of minutes here. Any last thoughts or questions you might have before we uh, we pause and, and, and to, uh, get ready for the next episode? I mean, I just look. I get I get the reasoning behind war, mm-hmm. but watching that movie, I and it's any war. It's not just this war. It's any war movie I've ever seen. I see young men and in the more current ones, women going and fighting overall. Yeah. I know there might be some actual rational reasons behind it, but a lot of it is money. Um, A lot of it is money and it's just, it's power. Mm -hmm. And when I say pompous windbags, that's exactly what I mean. You know, well, these people that have never been, these people that have never been in war ever, like, how did how how is it okay for them to make the decisions for all of these soldiers, the ones that are actually down here? How is it okay for you to be up here strutting around like a rooster? I mean, well, that comes from uh, the class systems, feudal systems back in the day. The yeah, that's stupid. Had a God-given right in some cases. That's what they pronounce, or the church. You know, we put this person in power, whatever, and you must do what they say. And so all the other ones, the the uh, peasants and and the lower class citizens that rented land, et cetera, and this and that. If you want to keep your house, you got to go fight for this guy or we're going to throw you out. You know, it was almost like a forced conscription, which still occurs in some nations to this day. Uh, yeah, Russia was a mandatory call up of citizens in the Ukrainian situation. So all the modern armies still come from that. Uh, you got a structure that basically says, ideally, it's military leadership that's had experience with this that will go in and uh, uh, achieve objectives geared toward peace and stability for everyone within the region. But behind that is usually the the pow- people of power and influence, the people that own uh, corporations and companies, land, uh, have vested interests. You know, why are we fighting ex- person or, or group over this square land of the desert for you and me it means nothing oh because there's oil underneath it or something like that and yeah well they're oppressing these people on the land you know that has happened in the past where objectives have been provided for the rationale to go to a war you know we could talk crusades uh yeah they'd say it was to reclaim lands for god but it was really for the uh, the king and the pope to gather money and power and and things like yep. that and these things are, are what we can do. But that will be for the next episode. So I think we'll sign off today here. Perfect. And uh, we will get on the next one about PTS next time. All right. And we'll see you then. Bye.